checking on his stick. Chicken on a Stick. Welcome to another episode of Chicken on a Stick. Welcome, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the 1974 satirical western black comedy Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Uh, Directed by Mel Brooks, also co-wrote by Mel Brooks, Andrew Bergman, Richard Pryor, Norman Steinberg, and Alan Uger. I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce his last name. Good Stars Cleavon Little, Gene Wilder, Mel Brooks, Slim Pickens, Harvey Corman, Madeline Kahn, a bunch of people. We and we got this recommendation because my my dad messaged me out of the blue one one night saying that um, Blazing Saddles was they were, were playing it in theaters. I think it was like some niche theaters that weren't entirely near us or something like that but he was like you know you we we watched that when you were a kid and your mom loves that movie you guys could, should go you guys should watch it and I was like you know what that's a great idea um and we you know didn't a we didn't really want to drive that far to go see it but also Patrick already owned it so yeah we figured we'd just have a little movie night in and, and watch something that was recommended by my dad and yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it is It is funny, too, though. I told you already. I told my mom that we were going to watch it, and she said, is Is it going to be the, the good one or the PC one? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. Qualifications? Arson, armed robbery, ma'am. Wait a moment. <laughs> What have you got in your mouth? Nothing. Nothing, eh? Lyle. Gum. Chewing gum online, eh? I hope you brought enough for everybody. I didn't know there was gonna be so many. Boy, is he strict. Gotta get in there close and find out what's happening. There's our ticket. Hey, boys! Look what I got here! Hey, where are the white women at? Okay, so similar to how we've done in the past, we're just kind of going to talk through the movie and then point out things as Mm -hmm. we go through it. Um, one of the first things I want to say is I watched through the Blu-ray that I own, I watched the commentary, Mel Brooks's commentary. I wouldn't even, it's a weird sort of commentary because it's not a full length of the movie. It doesn't even really seem like he was doing a commentary. Like, like I feel like most directors sit down and kind of watch the film and like commentate while kind of watching it at the same time. Whereas this was very much, almost certainly... Like, some interview he did or something where he was just sort of talking at length about the movie. Because it lasts... What part does it go up to? 
I think just when Madeline Kahn's character comes on and starts singing the song is when it stops. So that's maybe um, like an 40 minutes into the movie or something. I was going to ask if they listed like the actual date or year when they did any sort of commentary. No, I'm it. pretty sure it was years, years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like him sort of talking yeah. and saying things. And I watched that and then it also had a sort of like a making of documentary <laughs> thing. A real short thing where they talked to... Um, Andrew Bergman and a couple of the other people, like, Mm -hmm. actors who are in it and stuff. Uh, And the funny part is Mel Brooks gives two different stories about how he came to be the director of the movie. Really? Because this wasn't a thing, like, some of his other movies where he was there, like, from the very, very start. Mm -hmm. Andrew Bergman wrote a script that was originally called... Tex X about a black sheriff who goes it was called Tex X as a reference to Malcolm X but because it was a western about a cowboy Tex is in I don't know like Tex Avery or something Uh, and then the X obviously the Malcolm X sort of reference so the the Mel Brooks in one point does say sort of the bare bones outline was there and it was a good idea he was pitched that it was basically 1974 the or 1971, the mm-hmm. year that he was, like, attached to it. But modern, like, modern thought and perspective on race right. relations and stuff, but back in 1871. Right, right. Um, and he loved that. So he got on board. He talked with the studio. He wanted to kind of have carte blanche to kind of sort of do whatever he wanted. And he right. told them, like, look, I don't direct things unless I'm writing them. So that's right. why he's co-writer. He brought in Richard Pryor because they thought that they needed a like prominent black voice, and at the time Richard Pryor wasn't like big famous. He was he was doing the stand up scene. Right. He was known through that. Mel Brooks somehow knew him through that, and they brought him in as a writer. And Mel Brooks does state that, funnily enough, Richard Pryor wrote most of the Mungo scenes, and Mel Brooks wrote most of Bart's scenes, the lead that character is, scenes. That is pretty so. Funny. That's pretty funny. So there's five of them. They basically said they, like, showed up at somebody's house, Mm -hmm. sat around, did, like, a writer's room thing where they all were just riffing off of each other and evolved the script that way. Probably one of those, like, late night things, just, like, all of them hanging around, like, having cigars or smoking and something and just going till 2 a.m. And I think you can tell, uh, especially compared to some of his other works, like History of the World Part 1, where... Like, what parts exactly are like, okay, that was a Mel Brooks thing. Right. Because, especially, like, towards, like, how the movie basically ends, feels very similar to, in vain, to, like, History of the World Part 1, where things sort of, like, meld into other things and the real world and whatever sort of stuff, which is kind of hilarious. Um, The movie also was nominated for three Academy Awards. I think that's awesome. It did not win any of them. That sucks. Uh, but hilariously <laughs> enough, and we'll I'm sure we'll talk about her when we get to her, but Madeline Kahn was nominated for Best Supporting Act Best Supporting Actress, I think. Uh, I don't believe it was Best Actress. I think it was just Best Supporting Actress. Although it could be Best Actress since she's, she's the, the lead. Best in that movie. It was Best Supporting Actress. Obviously she didn't win, but that's sort of rare. Mm-hmm. Because it's a comedy. Right. So that's interesting. And it was very male-heavy, like, very male-led. Yeah. So, like, her her being able to stand out that much, I think, was just perfection. 
Yeah, and there's, uh... The movie's crazy. So my, my history, very briefly, of the movie is... The first... The first Mel Brooks movie I can think for certain that I know I saw was History of the World Part 1. Um, I just rem- I very vividly remember the first time ever seeing that, the scene where people are going up to the window to get, like, say what their job is and get paid, and Mel Brooks oh, right. is like, I'm a stand-up philosopher, and she's like, oh, a bullshitter. <laughs> yeah. um, and, like, small things like that that I, I will quote randomly and stuff throughout the day. That one I remember tons. And then... I don't know that I ever saw Blazing Saddles until I sort of really started my movie collection watching Journey, and I bought it and watched it. Early on. I'd known of it, but I don't think I had ever seen it before. Um, and yeah, I just I fell in love with it the first time I watched it. When, when I watched it, I was a kid, and it was on... I don't remember if we rented it from Blockbuster or if they actually bought the VHS... But I just remember watching it and my parents laughing and pretty much all of the jokes just completely went over my head, as they should have <laughs> as a kid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really, it's it's one of those fun things to watch when you're young and then watch it again when you're older and then you can pick up on all of, all of the, the crazy, wacky, raunchy, weird, <laughs> weirdness of it. Um yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely a, a fun to watch it all over again with fresh eyes. Yeah. Uh, a little more sort of about the casting. Uh, Richard Pryor being a co-writer. Mel Brooks also wanted him to be the lead. There Again, through this like pseudo-commentary and the little behind-the-scenes, it seems like there was a couple people they were sort of thinking about. But mm-hmm. Richard Pryor, Mel Brooks says he really wanted him to do it, but the studio wouldn't do it because of... Uh, I think both times Mel Brooks insinuates mostly because of his drug addiction problems at the time, Um, which makes sense. And also, I I mean, I don't I don't think him not being like a huge name at the time would have mattered because Cleavon Little was no one at the time, Mm -hmm. basically. But since that didn't work, they eventually they did casting and Mel Brooks says that as soon as he saw Cleavon Little, he knew. He just had like he had this great look about him. He had great timing, and, yeah. like, his presence, everything was just perfect, so he wanted him instantly. I feel like his sense of humor also matched that of Mel Brooks. Like, he, he could kind of see his vision in some really dark and, and dry humor and jokes. I, I would imagine that's probably what it is. If you're going out for <clears throat> a Mel Brooks movie... yeah. God, I'm losing my voice for some reason. I don't know what that was about. Um, I would think a lot of Mel Brooks' process is because he's he's a his movies are unique. Very. Like you could tell a Mel Brooks movie a mile away. Same same as like with Wes Anderson or mm-hmm. something. Like they've got a style, they've got a feel. You can tell it yeah. pretty much immediately. And I would think that if he's like really heavy in the casting, that he probably knows immediately when somebody's reading like a line or given a delivery that he's like bam that's That's what i envisioned in my head that's perfect yeah Um, i agree so the movie to kind of get into the movie we're starting off we're on the uh we get this opening song which mel brooks wrote um he actually which was also nominated for best original song 
Was it really? Yes, even though it was definitely a, a spoof song. Right, satire. Um, it's called uh, The Ballad of Rockridge. And it was supposed to be, yeah, a satire, a spoof of old western right. song like theme songs for old westerns or like western tv shows and stuff mm-hmm. around the time and uh, um they put an ad out they put an advertisement out in the trade papers for a frankie lane type singer mm-hmm. and then frankie lane himself answered that and recorded the song mm, seemingly not realizing it was supposed to be a spoof because right. at the time it was just a music number they didn't add the cracking whip sound effects until later, which makes it, like, that extra level. Like, it makes it it's goofy extra. at it's, that it point. It yeah. makes it, it takes it from being a bop to being super No, extra. it's still a bop. It it's is. Still, it's, it's, a, it's a bop. It's still it's a good, good song. <laughs> but, yeah. The, the, it still the, works very, very well for something that's, it because the whips aren't really distracting. They feel no, so yeah. in place, but it also makes sense at the same time that they're making fun of the right. genre. By doing that. Right. It's kind of got a, got a little tambourine feel to it. Just here yeah. and there. Um, so we open up. We're seeing uh, the American Railroad being worked on. And we're seeing t- what was... I guess I should probably preface this before we kind of get into this movie. This movie is full of a lot of words being used Lots that are not, uh, not good words. <laughs> Not nice they words. Are not, they to are say. not nice words, and they are not appropriate um, words. But it's one of those situations where uh, it's being used in again. It's a satirical movie, so it's all for comedy and jokes and stuff. Right. But it's being used historically, kind of like with historical context and correct sort of ways that they would have in eighteen seventy four. Right. Um, but also, the way that it's wrote and the characters are wrote, anybody who's saying these words that uh, are racist or bigoted or hate, yeah. hate-filled hate words towards others are generally shown to be the dumb characters of the movie. That is true. They are, they are shown to be the dumb characters, but also at the same time, I feel like I read somewhere that Mel Brooks had said something like, nobody's off-limits. So oh yeah, everybody's getting made fun and I, of. I don't disagree with that. I think yeah. he also said at some point if you to see, a, if to you a see degree yourself, yeah. to a degree in comedy you have to understand when comedy is comedy yeah. and somebody's not necessarily serious about something. Right. Um, I think Mel Mel Brooks takes a lot of jokes mm-hmm. about Jews and stuff all throughout all of his movies all the time. Even in this movie, there's things about oh yeah jews and stuff in there um obviously he's poking fun of himself and and whatever at that point but i generally agree with the idea that in comedy like yeah go for it like that's that's the thing there's a difference between i guess just straight up hate speech or something and doing it in a comedic sort of way if that even makes any sense it does and it 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 like you shouldn't just go out and call somebody hey you you're up yeah ha 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 that's so funny just yeah. kidding um but he he takes the opportunity to make fun of himself make fun of others and he there was a quote somewhere that he said you know you should be seeing a part of you to laugh at yourself in this movie 
you know, and some of the things, if you're, you know, probably thinking to yourself, ooh, that's kind of me, then maybe that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be thinking that way. So it's, the, the, that comedy that is, is balanced out, it, it works in this movie. Yeah, and again, like I said, all, all the characters who were made to really be saying all the, like, racist things or, or yep. bigoted things are very much shown to be the dimwits, the morons, the the, the, the dumb dunes. characters who don't even pick up when they're even being actually made fun of right. uh, or made to look stupid, which is a great way to sort of battle the idea of racism and hatred mm -hmm. is to be like, well, look, these are the people who are saying it, but they're yeah. they're idiots. <laughs> so they, uh, it it reminded me a good deal of how um, uh, Quentin Tarantino tackled some stuff in Django Unchained, like this the scenes whenever you would see the Ku Klux Klan, they were just a bunch of absolute idiots. They can't figure out how to put their own you know hat on or whatever, and they're just really stupid. I felt like he he maybe understood that that area of showing you know just how how dunce such such judgmental people could be uh and there was there was a quote from um mel brooks when he was asked about the many uses of the n-word throughout the movie mm -hmm. he said that he had received constant support from richard pryor and cleavon little during the movie and he added, and this was in 2012, that if they tried to, if they did a remake of Blazing Saddles today, they would leave the N word out, and then you've got a, you've got no movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Brooks said to receive many letters of complaint after the film's release. I believe it. Um, which you know makes sense, and again, like you said, I mean, we've got Django Unchained had, mm -hmm. I forget what the total count of times that they said it in that movie was, mm -hmm. but it was a whole thing about being hundreds. Yeah. So many times. times. Um, and then, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie was like, uh, I don't know who told the story, Samuel L. Jackson or him, but yeah. he was like unsure about saying it. And Samuel L. Jackson was just like, dude, just say it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just get it over with. He's like, just say it. And guess what? If you're feeling uncomfortable, you should be feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, you should That's be feeling the point. uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> if you felt really comfortable, then that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. Um,. So anyway, we, we back to the, the actual movie. Back to the movie. Uh, we open up on the railroads. They're being worked on by um, a bunch of people. Uh, there's sort of a mix in there. I, I don't. The ones you easily pick up on is there's Chinese workers there. Mm -hmm. There's black workers. There's supposed to be like Irish workers, things like that. Um, Spanish people workers. who were treated as lesser humans mm -hmm. at the time, basically. Uh, just kind of put to work by the white man or something. Yeah. And a group of them comes over, uh, led by one of the characters that we'll see a lot recurring in here. Um, I forget exactly what his name is. Maybe Lyle? I think it's Lyle was the one. Um, he's always wearing the red shirt cowboy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, why don't y'all... Oh, yeah. First off, he says something about, like, one of the Chinese guys falls over. Right. Like, collapses from exhaustion. He's like, it's no time for a nap. Take him out of here. <laughs> uh, and they repeat that joke quite a few times. Anytime yeah. somebody's, like, laying down or got knocked over about taking naps. Uh, but he's like, why don't you sing us one of your songs? Yeah. And he's expecting some sort of, like, s slave song or something that you that, you know, we've seen in many 
entertainment and historical that I'd they'd be out on, on the yeah like i'd be working on the railroad or something and instead they sing i get a kick out of you by <laughs> yeah. cole porter and he's just like no that's not what i mean and he starts to sing a song uh he's like how about how about um I forget the name of the song. Swing, swing my chariot oh, yeah, or something, and and they just chariot. act like they're like I don't know what that I is. I've never heard of that like, song oh, in my life. Well, what about uh, Camp Town Lady? Yeah. And then he starts singing it, and all of the white cowboys just start like yeah. dancing around like a bunch Camp of buffoons. Town Lady, sing this song. They're being. This is the first. Like I said, this is the instance of like he said a bunch of hateful things yeah. immediately, and they trick him into singing the kind of song that he wants to hear. Right. And they all look like buffoons and idiots right. while everybody else is laughing at them. Um, so clever. Weren't they harmonizing to that song that they were doing? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah, like yeah. this like, the Cole, nice... The Cole Porter song. Yeah. yeah. They were doing a... It was an acapella version yeah, where acapella. like there was harmonies and stuff to it. It was that really was good. Fantastic. And then, yeah, they, they start doing like this stupid little like a jig and, jig and yeah this is where we get to see slim pickens uh who plays taggart in the movie that's the guy's name slim pickens famous for a bunch of westerns and stuff so he was like a big western actor so it was like kind of a big deal that they got him into the movie that's cool because he could really tell people to be like uh you know he worked on so many so it's like if you have questions ask slim he, he'll, he'll know expert. what the hell to do he'll know uh so he comes up, he says, this is where he says, and this is going to be a joke that just does not land for a lot of people, and it's just yeah. like, what the hell did he just say? Because he comes over and he says, what in the world, what in the wide world of sports is happening over uh, yeah. here? It's just, it's so random. I think that, that did go over my it's head. It's so random. But yeah. the movie's full of these weird um, things like that. These weird uh, anachronisms where... They say sh- things that just don't make like right. in eighteen seventy. Wide world why of sports. That? What? That's not a thing. But that would have been a thing in like nineteen seventy four. They're like little tiny inside jokes for people that have that that kind of sense of humor to catch it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> once they once they all calm down, he says, uh, Taggart says, "Get two of these boys." He doesn't say boys. Uh, but he says, get two of them and get yeah. them to take the hand cart and, and go down the rail and whatever. So he picks uh, Bart, the mm-hmm. main character, or who will, who becomes the main character, and his friend, uh, Charlie, I think is what his name is. And he go and Bart walks up to Lyle before that and he goes, oh, excuse me, he said two of these people? I'll have you know, my mother is Dutch. <laughs> That's right. My mother is Dutch. But he doesn't care, and he's like, just get out of here. Yeah. And as they're going, they start to sing Camp Town Ladies right, right. as, as like, another out. joke towards them. Um, That's so funny. They take the handcart up. They run. They don't get super far, but they run into, and all of a sudden, they get stuck. And they're like, is it me, or is the world rising? <laughs> and they, they're sinking into quicksand, That's and right. Taggart and Lyle show up, and uh, they get a a lasso yeah and you think they're gonna go and save the guys but instead they lasso the hand cart and pull, pull that the out of the quicksand and leave the other two the hand cart's important yeah they got to pull themselves out once yeah. they pull themselves out taggart goes why are you just laying there for you've had enough rest let's get back to work he just fought for his life yeah they just literally had to pull themselves out of the quicksand i don't know about anyone else but tv and movies made me think that i would come across quicksand a lot more than i have in my life 
I you're not the first person I've ever heard say that, but I've I've never thought that, but I've also never like traveled to any of the areas that any movie has ever showed quicksand ever I, be. I guess. I don't know. But it, I've also learned, you know, you just you don't you don't panic. Yeah, but then the only the only way that you would survive that in not panicking is if you have someone readily available to come by to pull you just out. Don't don't be afraid of death. Okay. <laughs> Welcome the sweet release. Except the sweet release of death. Um so they get out or, wisdom from Patrick. Yeah. So they they get out of the quicksand and uh because of the quicksand, Taggart realizes they can't have the railroads go through there because of the quicksand, so they have to go around. Right. And he goes to tell the governor, um or I guess technically the attorney general is who it goes to. Head Headley Lamar um, is the attorney general, and he, they realize if they got to reroute the railroad, it's going to mm-hmm. go through this town called uh, Rock Ridge, right. which means Rock Ridge is going to become very successful, because technically it could be a stop, right. or you'd sell all the land to make money from the government, things like that. So he comes up with a scheme of, let's try and get all the townspeople to leave, I can buy up the land, mm-hmm. make profit. So he gets Taggart to bring his men to go through the town, cause trouble, kill the sheriff, yeah. pillage, murder, wreak havoc, that sort of thing. And he they do. Uh, and it seems to be sort of working. But instead, the people, instead of leaving, they have a little church service. This I actually loved this part, and I didn't notice it until we were watching this time. When we're introduced to Rock Ridge for the first time, mm-hmm. there's, uh, like, a musical number that's going. And we're seeing, like, clips of Rock Ridge. We're seeing, like, the little shops and people just oh, do their day-to-day yeah, yeah. stuff. And it's, like, singing about how great Rock this Ridge is. Town. And then we go into a church, and it's literally the church session. They're, sing- they're the ones singing the song. The whole time. Uh, which I liked. And then they sit down, and then the attack happens. Right. And then... They decide, well, we, we don't want to run. This is where my ice cream shop is, and this is where my thing is. The the one uh, sort of, like, wilderness-looking guy who mumbles, stands up, and he oh, gives, yeah. like, a speech of, like, and they're like, I agree with him. I agree with Johnson. I agree with that Johnson about that Johnson. <laughs> that Johnson about that Johnson. Because all of their last names are Johnson. Johnson. Wasn't there a Smith in there? No. No. Just all Johnson. I'm pretty sure they're all Johnson. That's hilarious. There might be, yeah, I think they're all Johnson. That is pretty. Um, but they they write a letter to the governor, to Governor William J. Lepetaman or Lepetaman. I'm not really sure. don't really remember how you pronounce it. But played by Mel Brooks, right? <clears throat> He's sort of like a bumbling doofus, who his only real interest as governor is his secretary who's very scantily clad the entire movie very much so uh unnecessarily so and he basically just listens to anything that the attorney general right uh headley lamar says and headley says well sign these these people want you to send a new sheriff and he's like okay so we'll send somebody and he comes up with the idea to send uh bart as the new town sheriff because they're not gonna because it's a town of all white people in the west super racist they're not gonna accept a black sheriff coming into town sending him up for failure 
yeah, trying to set them up for failure yeah. and him up for failure. Um, we also get in between here a quick little shot of like this executioner who's hanging people outside. Oh, yeah. Who has an eye patch? His yeah. limbs seem like noodles <laughs> yeah. with the way that he walks and swings his arms. But there's a great bit where he's the first time we see him, he's about to hang a man who's sitting in a wheelchair. They don't. He's just in a wheelchair and he's like, "I I am absolutely booked today. I am swamped. <laughs> I'm I can't. So busy. I'm so busy." And he gives the guy in the wheelchair a little kiss on the head before before hanging him. That was hilarious. And then we cut back to him later where he's like, "Hey, um, I need this guy." Can, when can we put him in? And he says Monday. But the person he's about to hang is a man riding a horse, and he's about to hang both the horse and, and the man. The yeah. <laughs> so the when he hangs him, the there's a joke about some like the big noise happens and somebody gets spooked, and he's like, oh, "It's just a man and a horse being hung." <laughs> like no big deal, a- average the normal horse day. Do? Yeah. Um. So Sorry, they horse. they get Bart out of being executed. Yeah. And. They send him to Rockridge. They set him up. All new, like, duds, nice horse, everything. We get here, this great... And if you looked at the movie trivia question that I post on Tuesdays for this week, this is the answer to that question. Uh, He's got a saddlebag made by Gucci. (laughs) That's right. It's so random. It's just very tiny, in there for no reason other than to be... A joke about like cowboys in 1974 probably would have designer saddlebags and things. The fancy ones would, I suppose. Little Gucci, mm-hmm. little Louis Vuitton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we also get here while he's riding into Rock Ridge. We get he comes upon an orchestra playing mm-hmm. a song. Um, that is Count. Uh, Basie, I probably pronounced it wrong, playing himself and his orchestra playing themselves. So they actually set up out there for the shot, and they played, but then it had to be dubbed over so for the audio to not sound so, like, muffled in the wind or whatever. But they're playing April in Paris in the middle of the desert as Bart rides into Rock Ridge to assume his sheriff post. Very confidently, too. He's taking it very seriously. Yes. There's, uh, yeah, because he's like, cool, all right, I'll be sheriff, why not? This is an awesome job. Yeah, this is better than building the railroad. Yeah. Uh, So as he's coming into town, the whole town's there, they've got the band out, they've got Mm -hmm. these banners, everyone's there excited to see the new sheriff. They're so excited. There's a great, it's not really a joke, but there's a great reference in here that unless you know the people, it's going to go right over your head, you're not going to get it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, one of the Johnsons is going to read the letter when the sheriff gets here. He says, um, it is my honor to present you with this laurel and a hearty handshake. And the reference is to the vaudeville and early movies, uh, comedic duo of Laurel and Hardy. Oh yeah. So that's why it's very clearly extend this laurel. And hearty handshake. That's very cute. Which is a nice just little reference to Laurel and and Hardy. That's a fun little nod. Yeah. Um, So basically, he gets into town. Uh, The mumbling guy on the roof tries to tell him that he's black, but he keeps getting cut off by the church bells. Yep. Um, And when he gets there, everybody 
is like shocked they're terrified people are like they roll up the banner yeah everybody's just slam the windows close the doors yeah everybody's just weirded out by it and he gets up on stage and he's starting to give a little speech and everyone pulls guns out on him (laughs) and he notices this so he pulls a gun out on himself on himself and again to make all of the racist characters look like idiots he goes nobody move or he gets it and they're like, oh my god, he's serious. Everybody put your guns down. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> and he, he, he backs himself away into into the police station. I guess, is it a police station back then? I, I don't know what you call it. Sheriff, sheriff building or something? The, the, the pokey? The, po- the pokey. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that he, scene is so funny, though, because of how quickly he, like thought on his feet to do that it's so dumb it's so so dumb but it's so funny and again the it's a satirical comedy but the whole joke is just the racists are dumb yeah like if you if you feel or treat somebody this way you are you are the dumb one yeah And, and that's kind of the whole point um and he he gets in there and when he's in there uh he hears a sound he goes over to a jail cell and there's a man hanging upside down from his feet. Yeah. And he looks at him and he says, are we awake? <laughs> and he goes, I don't know. Are we black? <laughs> and he says, we are. And he goes, then we are awake. <laughs> but a little confused. Uh, and that is Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Who, a few years before this, had already played Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene Wilder's great. He's fantastic and everything, even though I know you don't like Willy Wonka or whatever. I but do not. That's a terrifying movie. He is amazing as Willy Wonka in that movie. I like that he was married to Gilda Radner. I felt like that they, is true. they were a really good duo while they were together. Yeah. Um, and I, li- I liked him in um, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, which he hadn't done at this point. Uh. And... Mel Brooks helped him do yeah. Young Frankenstein, That's helped him get it off like off the ground and do it because he he had wanted to do it for a long time, but he kind of needed the like assistance or somebody to kind of back it. And Mel Brooks, uh, because of them working together and af- definitely after Blazing Saddles, was like, all right, let's let's do it. That movie's way better than Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Gene Wilder, a little background, hilariously. Was not the first choice for this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel Brooks wanted somebody who was like older, because uh, the idea for Jim was that he was a grizzled, sort of leathered-faced mm-hmm. alcoholic. So they wanted somebody who was older. Maybe even they had like alcohol issues in their past or something. Yeah. And there was one person that they went to for it, um, but they turned it down. Now, John Wayne turned down being in this movie. I can't quite remember if John Wayne was asked to play the Jim character, hmm. which would make sense because he played Rooster Cogburn for True Grit. Right. So, and, and I'm not, on the top of my head, I don't know if that was before or after 1974, but that's like a similar vein of like what Mel Brooks was looking for, this old gunslinger who's now like an alcoholic that's basically Rooster Cogburn. Cogburn. Um, True Grit, amazing movie. So... <laughs> John Wayne was given the script, mm-hmm. he read it, he loved it, but he's like, I can't do that. He's like, I, I cannot <laughs> no. do that movie, but I love it. No, he said, no. he told Mel Brooks, I'll be the first in line when it comes out to see it, but I can't be in this. That's uh, hilarious. They did, supposedly, they did get somebody 
to be in the role, but that person was actually dealing with alcoholism at the time, oh. and it was a like it was an actual problem. An there was issue. like a whole thing about him apparently like actually vomiting on set and stuff, and they're like, okay, well he's oh. he's got an issue. He needs to get that sorted out. So finally, they sort of reached out to Gene to do it and he he went through and did it um in the little documentary thing gene wilder says that they originally asked him to maybe play Headley lamar Mm -hmm. and he was like i can't do that yeah like the character's great and fun but like that's not a role i can do right um which i got you know whichever story is true i'm glad that they landed on gene wilder being jim Mm -hmm. because even though he's maybe not as old as they would have liked to be a gunslinger, um, I think his role of Jim or the Waco kid yeah. is fantastic. I think he had the I think he had the right personality for it because he had he had the right um, dryness, the right cutting, witty sort of sort of lines. Gene, yeah, Gene Wilder is great in everything. He just it, has such great delivery. Very on everything. great delivery. Very organically hilarious even when it is you know something something like this where some some of the jokes might be a little bit difficult to swallow he's yeah he makes it work yeah um so they they introduce each other he learns that uh gene wilder is the waco kid or Mm -hmm. formerly known as the waco kid there's a good line where he's like what do they call you he's like uh no he said my name is jim and my Mm -hmm. friends call me Jim. Jim. So they have a little thing where he, he does reveal that he's the Waco kid. And, and he's like, wow, you had like that fastest hands in the West. He's like, yeah. I used to. He's like, show me your hands. So he ho- holds up his right hand. And he's like, that looks that looks perfectly steady. Like, it's not moving at all. He goes, yeah, too bad that's not the one I shoot with. And oh, picks yeah. up his left hand and it's shaking wildly. <laughs> Just full on tremors. Um, he still shows that he's really quick though by doing this little trick where he tells him to like try and they got a chest set in front of him. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, put your hands around the queen. When I say go, you try and close your hands. Yeah. And he says go and he closes his hands. He's like, oh, I got you. And then Bart opens his hands and nothing's there. Yeah. And Jim reaches into his holster and the queen is just in his holster. That's. So silly. It's like the most extreme version of like a gunslinger, fastest hands in the West you can think right. of, where his hands are so fast you literally don't see yeah. him move. Where <laughs> like in a serious movie they would play it off as like such a cut scene. In this, you know, pointing pointing fun yeah. of that that is really funny. Um. <clears throat> so once they've done that. Uh, because nothing has happened in the town yet, Headley, oh, I should probably mention this, I suppose, the name Headley Lamar, which is our, our district, or, our, uh, yeah, attorney general in this, there's a running gag throughout the movie that people keep calling him Hetty Lamar. Mm-hmm. Hetty Lamar was an actress, and it's supposed to be, it's an intentional joke about, like, it's not really a joke at her. It's just sort of like a oh, dumb, yeah, funny you, joke. Yeah, like, if you knew who Hedy Lamar is, like, right. ha, ha, ha. And he's correcting everyone throughout the movie going, it's Heedley. Um, but, hilariously, 
Hedy Lamarr didn't find it very funny, and she actually sued the studio asking for a hundred thousand dollars. I can't believe that. Um, because of use of her name, uh, or sort of use of her name, and Mel Brooks said, uh, the way he tells it is. He didn't want to go through the court or deal with all that stuff. He, mm-hmm. he he respects her and all that stuff. So he just said, let's just settle it out of courts. They paid yeah. a small fee. He thinks it was only a couple thousand dollars probably to make her happy. He gave her an apology saying, I'm sorry we sort of used your name in this movie. Uh, but he also was very quick to go, I don't think she ever understood the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Completely went over her head. Yeah. I think that I would find that hilarious. I think, I feel like I would have kind of found it kind of funny. And it's also a little bit of a compliment. Yeah. At least she got a little bit of money out of it. She she got some money out of it, so, you know, it is what it is. I bet at the end of the day that was, like, no skin off of his nose. He's like, all right, you win some, you lose some, and overall, he won. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, not too long after this... We get, because they want to get rid of Bart now that he's in town and actually acting like sheriff. Mm-hmm. He's gone out in the town. Mm-hmm. He's tried to be like, look, you gotta, you gotta persist. You gotta be yeah. kind. They'll get used to me. He goes out in town. A little old lady just right in his face calls him the N-word. Harden. <laughs> it is, it is one Hard of, it is a very funny shot in the scene. Even Mel Brooks is like, anybody in the movie could have called Cleavon Little anything they wanted to and none of it bothered him until a little old lady said it and then it bothered him. Didn't he like open a door for her or something? Or like no, he, his hat he, to he her? comes up to her and goes howdy ma'am what a lovely yeah. day or something and she's day. like move out of the way. And we're like Jesus Christ. Uh, and he just has this expression on his face like oh. oh. Alright. Um, so he comes right. back Jim is like look I told you and then shortly after that Mungo shows up. Mungo. They send Mungo. We, I guess, actually at some point, we got the farting beans scene here, <laughs> where they're all sitting around and farting. Uh, so this is the first movie that had uh, like audible farts on it. And it's actually, as dumb as that sounds, yeah. and like as not of a big deal as it is, uh, or would seem to be, it was. Because yeah. in that censored television version of Blazing Saddles, which your mother talked about and you mentioned where they remove like all the n-words and all all that stuff they remove the audio of the farts the scene is still in there so it just looks like a bunch of cowboys eating beans and weirdly like sitting up and back down with no farting sounds period and then yeah it's very strange in the little documentary thing they showed they show a couple alternate scenes that are put into I guess kind of fill out time for the parts that they removed. Yeah. But the, that is the weirdest scene. They remove all the sounds of the farts, and it's just... I think Mel Brooks called it, like, it just looks like cowboys in, like doing some weird synchronized dancing <laughs> where they just, they're one at a time standing up and chair. sitting down. Um, yeah, so we get the beans farting scene. It's kind of, it's dumb. It's it really dumb. dumb, but the first time it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. that's 
kind of funny. Uh, and Mel Brooks put it as like, you're always seeing these old cowboy shows or movies, and all they were eating is beans. Always and beans. The only, like, always cans of beans. What do you think's going to happen after all those beans? I, I will be the first to say I hate potty humor. I don't like fart jokes. I don't like things like that. But it's historically relevant. It was historically relevant, and I find that... Or, well, I don't even know about historically relevant. It's just historic in that it's the first movie yeah. with audio flatulence. <laughs> and again, like we said earlier, this is a... a Which pretty... is hilarious to think. It's 1974, yeah. and yeah. that's the first movie to do that? Yeah, and when we... <laughs> we we only got... Wasn't it Psycho was the first movie to show a toilet? A flushing toilet. A flushing yeah. toilet. Um, that was 1960. 1960. Yeah, it's but it, it's funny, too. Well, again, like I, I said earlier... Which, that... The Psycho thing, I don't know directly if that would have to do something with the Hayes Code. Because that would have been, like, coming out of the Hayes Code where they were very restricted in things that they could show. And I imagine toilet-related things were, prob- were probably very, a no-no. Yeah, very much so a no-no. But then again, you're getting a, a very heavily male, comedic-led storyline so we've already got a, a female character that's very like ditzy and or what, what's her the the secretary or whoever yeah is, the secretary you know very her boob you know lots of cleavage yeah. lots of like tight clothes hello boys how are you <laughs> yeah you know you're getting that and you're getting uh oh fart jokes God. and uh, i you know <laughs> it's just boy it, it's like boy fun we forgot to mention the home rump home rump yeah, the scene where he's in there signing all the papers. He's like, harump! And they all go, harump! And he goes, I didn't hear a harump out of that guy! <laughs> yeah. And he's like, give give the governor a harump! And he goes, harump! Harump. Uh, and they get the little, like, paddle ball things, yeah. and, and he tries oh to play God. with one of them. And he's like, ah, this thing's, no. the thing's warped, and Headley it's picks broken. it up and goes, he just hits it a couple times and goes, you're right, sir. That was so funny. <laughs> so stupid. I mean, it is very, very funny. Mel Brooks so plays funny. really well. Um, not able to hit a paddle, a paddle thing. Yeah. Which, by the way, did you play with those as a kid? Yes. Okay, me too. Yeah, who hasn't? I don't know. I probably wasn't. I mean, good. maybe kids these days probably play, like, an iPhone version or these something. These kids these days. These whippersnappers. <laughs> um, so, anyway, after all of that, um, after the bean-eating scene, they decide to send Mungo into town to kill the sheriff. Right. Mungo is just a big... He's kind of... On first glance, he is just sort of the the muscle, no brain, brawn, no brain sort of character. He looks kind of dim-witted, but he's really strong. Or, or that's sort of the gist of it. In fact, they chain him up with like a something you'd put on a dog or something to oh, like keep a him. No, not a muzzle. They've got like the, oh, the, the actual yeah. chain around his neck to like keep him in place like a dog or something. He kind of um, reminded me of the, was it the mountain from Game of Thrones? Like, was it the mountain? He said something like that. Yeah, some some big guy that had no personality and never said anything. Uh, Mungo comes into town riding on a, what did you call it? What? Not a long, a buffalo. What did I call a, it? A, a bull something? Oh, muskox? Musk, sure. Bullox, I think. Whatever you said. It was an ox of some sort. Yes, I guess. I think it was a... I might have said bullocks. I might have meant muskox. I have no idea. It's a big <laughs> white 
cow looking thing with giant horns. But not you said it was a longhorn and it was definitely not I don't, a longhorn. I well, I said, is that a longhorn? I don't know. No. I don't know animals. You're no Texan. Uh I that's right, I'm not. <laughs> Uh, so he rides in on one for some reason and i'm not sure i didn't really dive in to look at why this might be on the on the animals but one side says yes one side says no yes don't know what that's about um but he gets off everybody sees him they're afraid people are like running away there's one little quick cut of uh a guy who's supposed to be hispanic i think in some sort of way but it but he goes mongo santa maria and then he like runs off um but one of the johnsons decides to kind of be like mongo you can't be here get out of here and he's on a horse and mongo just walks up and right hooks that horse and the horse does a prat fall onto the ground it's great that's just a great another time i was like why the horse what did he do (laughs) why did he punch the horse He's Mungo, that's He's why. He's Mungo. Uh, Punching Mon- horses. Mungo goes into, like, the, uh, the the saloon, and he starts to bully the people there, beat up on the people there. Uh, so the sheriff... I'm not sure who this guy is. He kind of looks like he's supposed to be a doctor or something. He's wearing, like, a white... Yeah, coat. Coat or jacket or something. But he comes in to tell the sheriff, we need your help, Mungo's here, go do something about it. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the door and goes, the fool's gonna... I mean, the sheriff's going to do something. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Jim knows Mungo, knows that, like, you can't beat him in a fist fight or something, so mm-hmm. we got to come up with something to do. And he walks to the saloon, and he's dressed up like a telegram person. And Mungo's holding, like, everybody in the saloon against the wall between, a pi- like, a piano on his back, squishing everybody. Yep. And he comes in, and Bart goes... Candy gram for Mungo. <laughs> candy gram for Mungo. And he hands it to him. Mungo, Mungo's like, Mungo loves candy. This part also, because it's WB, it was a Warner Brothers production, uses, like, Looney Tunes music. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's a very, like, Looney Tunes sort of situation yeah, where silly. he opens the box. It's not candy. It's like dynamite that yeah. explodes in Mungo's face. <laughs> Naturally. Um, that subdues Mungo. They take Mungo back to the, the pokey, the the, the prison, and instead of just putting him in a cell, they, he almost looks like crucified, but he's chained up against the cell with many chains around him, just like passed out. It's the only way you can subdue him. Very, very clever, yeah. Very clever. Uh, so when Mungo fails, it gets back to... Headley, Headley Lamar, and he decides, okay, we're going to bring out the big guns then. Yeah. We're going to send in my ace. No man can resist her. Mm-hmm. We're going to send in <laughs> Lily Von Stoop. Yeah. Uh, so that she can do her game of, like, getting him to fall in love and then going from there. Now, Lily Von Stoop is... The best. Very interesting character. Very. Madeline Kahn plays her. Again, we mentioned at the beginning she got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. The thing that's interesting, and this is the part that I didn't want to tell you until here because I just want your genuine reaction. Mm-mm. Marilyn Kahn, or Mad- Marilyn Kahn, Madeline Kahn's, uh, the way that she acts, Von Stupp in this, uh-huh. is very specific. 
Okay. She's trying to be like a different character and very specific. She's supposed to be, not really supposed to be, she is a, she's based off of an actress that I don't think you would know um, necessarily off the top of your head. But I know pretty well because recently starting collecting all the Criterion movies. I couldn't know her. You don't know me. Her act, the actress that she's basing the portrayal of this character on, mm-hmm. is Marlene Dietrich, who oh my I Lord. know from the Criterion collection film of Destry Rides Again, starring James Stewart. Of course, it's James Stewart. Um, now, this isn't what she, this isn't the movie she got like based it off of. It was actually an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, that her characters like directly influenced on, and it is. Let me try and remember. Uh, it, okay, so it, her character is based on an Alfred Hitchcock movie, where basically the actress plays a lot of these sort of similar sort of character, where she's like a like a lounge singer or something yeah. who kind of seduces men kind of sort of thing. Sassy gal. And that's kind of what she is in Destry Rides Again. Is she like her character is almost the same exact sort of character. She works in a saloon as maybe a prostitute, maybe not. <laughs> in in Destry maybe. Rides Again at least. And, and in this she's just like a singer like a showgirl sort right. of thing. Um but the same sort of situation happens in Destry Rides Again. The bad guys are like, hey, we want you to, like, try and seduce this guy and, yeah. and switch him over, you know, pull a fast one on him. And the same sort of situation happens, which that's what I find very, very, very hilarious. Of course it's a James Stewart movie. Of course it's a James Stewart movie. Your favorite. That's right. I've been with thousands of men again and again. <laughs> they promised the moon. They're always coming and going and coming and going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She really... I loved her character so much. She she really did balance out a lot of the... You know, like like we mentioned earlier, kind of like the, the boy-guy humor, the, the masculinity early on. She, she does a really great job of balancing it out. But she's still a strong female character she's not you know she's not just you know throwing herself you know delicately at people she is very confident she's definitely a a, i don't know she 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 knows what she's doing so i loved her character i love the way that she carried her voice the the accent all of it it was so good (laughs) the i find it hilarious that her character forgetting and this has happened a lot with like award shows and stuff the character doesn't have a ton of screen time mm-hmm. like important screen time mm-hmm. in the in the general sense of this movie yeah her whole thing is doing the song mm-hmm. and then like the scene immediately after maybe right. one or two scenes in between and then we see her once or twice more kind of in the background i don't think she ever says anything again um, so it's very interesting, but 
I just thought it was hilarious that uh, it was <laughs> her whole thing was sort of based off of this. Um, Is there a James Stewart movie that you haven't seen yet? Yes. Oh, definitely. You know, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> totally off topic, but when I watched the movie the other day uh, called Seventh Heaven mm-hmm. from 1927, mm-hmm. one of the first three Best Picture nominees from the Academy Awards, that movie, that one was a silent, silent film. Right. It was remade in 1937, starring James Stewart. James Stewart. <laughs> I have of not seen that one yet. Was. I've seen the original Seventh Heaven, but I haven't seen the James Stewart Seventh Heaven. Um, and then there are a couple other. There are a couple other ones I haven't seen. I haven't watched Vertigo yet. I watched the TV the show Alfred Hitchcock one. in the nineties. Yeah, I don't, don't think that's related at all. <laughs> I, <think so>. <laughs> <laughs> I when I first saw it, I thought perhaps, but there's definitely no relation. No, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, it okay. So it's I don't know if that it's it's probably worth mentioning that when um, Madeline Kahn went into like audition for the role um mel brooks asked to see her legs during the audition those gams um and she said uh so it's that kind of audition and he's like no 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 no." um he explained as he recalls he explained that he was a happily married man (laughs) and that he needed somebody who could straddle a chair with her legs like marlene dietrich in Destry Rides Again, oh. James Stewart movie. Um, so she lifted up her skirt and said, no touching. No touching. Um, so that's, like, that's something that's kind of like... At least she... First, you, if, if you need, like, like, there is something to do with the legs that's important, yeah. you should probably lead with that, lead like, with before legs. people even come in for auditions. Yeah. Not just spring it on them. Um, but also in this day and age, that's, I mean, that's not right, like in any time. That's it. I'll see you in court. But but that's, uh, that would have, yeah, that, that's, uh, Mel Brooks, what are you doing? But good for her for. Yeah. Good for her for being like, uh, I don't think so. And not being like, I I really want this part. So I'll, you know, whatever you say, because that, that happened to a lot of actresses. I mean, even, even still you know, in the last several years that was still happening. So good yeah. for, her for, for, for her for being a tough cookie. You can get above the knee and that's it. Above the knee? Just a little bit. Just right here and then that's it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so back to the movie after we got super sidetracked and kind of went over whatever we were talking about. I meant, um, I meant like an itch, inch above the knee. Yeah, yeah, Nothing yeah. Nothing high. Um... So he gets Von Stupp to come in. She tries to seduce Bart. She takes him back, or she goes back to her dressing room. He comes in with a single rose, and she kind of throws herself at him and is like, ooh, is it? And then the lights turn off, and she's like, is it? Is it true what they say about men like you? Oh, yeah. And undoes his pants, uh, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. And, she, and all you hear is, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> True. I don't remember. There was supposed to be another joke on that where it's still in the dark. You weren't going to see anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Bart's character was supposed to go, ma'am, you're sucking on my hand. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. 
but that was that was a line too far that WB was like no, we gotta, no. we gotta stop no, no, it No, 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 no. That one is, uh, that's a little too far. I can't, did they make any reference to her last name being Stuff? No. Because. In, like, what way? Stuff. Like, that. Oh, oh. I think that's, that's, that's the what the joke is supposed, is supposed to, be? to be. like, a James but Bond I don't, lady? Yes, I don't think they, like, at any point, somebody no. points it out, basically. Her name's Stuff, you know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was funny. I like that. So, part. so the next morning, uh, she no longer wants to like turn him in or help help the, the attorney no, she, general. No, she don't. Because she's had the she just had the best night of her life. She she stooped. <laughs> yeah, she stooped. Um, the, uh, Bart goes back to the jail. Uh, says he had a great night with her. Um, at that point, Mungo, like, wakes up and just easily breaks out of his chains. And this is where Mungo delivers a line that, again, was wrote by Richard Pryor, where, uh, Mungo basically says, Mungo just pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> He's got, like, a real deep moment. <laughs> uh, and so Mungo, like, vaguely gives up what the scheme is and why yeah. it's happening. So, uh, Bart and Jim decide to visit the railroad site and, and discover from the best friend that the railroad was planned to go through Rock Ridge. Taggart and his men arrive to kill Bart, but when they show up, Jim's there with Bart, and he's like, hey, I'm the Waco kid, and they're like, haha, no yeah. you're not, and they all have, they all go to draw their guns, yeah. and it's like six people, they all draw their guns, and instantly all their guns are shot out of their right. hands. And we cut back to Gene Wilder, to Jim, sitting on a horse. His arms are just crossed, <laughs> but his holsters are smoking. S- smoking terribly. <laughs> He's so fast that just the, like, friction of the air and whatever, just there's steam blowing out. If you blinked, you missed it. Basically, if you blinked, you missed it. That's pretty pretty <laughs> true. Um... <laughs> He's too fast. He's very fast. Uh, so it forces them to retreat. Um, Lamar, Hedy, Hedley Lamar, almost said Hedy Lamar, Hedley Lamar uh, is angry at, at this point, but he comes up with the idea because Taggart basically says, you, uh, or is it Von Stoop? I think Von Stoop says you'd need an army to stop him. Mm-hmm. So he gets the brilliant idea of, okay, we're going to hire an army. Yeah. We're going to get the most vicious cutthroats this side of the mississippi or whatever and they go out and they they put out a table that's just saying like um all all degenerates or whatever bring it everything and we get this pan of this line of people and it starts with like just sort of like tough looking cowboys yeah and then we see things like uh thugs common criminals Mm -hmm. motorcycle gangsters but they don't have motorcycles they've got like chaps that have the handlebars of motorcycles on them (laughs) uh we see nazis there's methodists in there (laughs) that's the scariest of them all (laughs) Uh, and then at the very 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 end is the ku klux some ku klux klan members of course um this is my favorite scene of the movie (laughs) and it's when Jim and Bart are, like, peeking in on what's happening. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> first, a guy comes up 
who's chewing bubblegum in line. And Hedley Lamar goes, what's in your mouth? And he's like, nothing. And he tells one of the guys to get it. And he pulls out and he goes, it's chewing gum. He goes, I hope you brought enough gum for everyone. He goes, I didn't know there'd be this many people. So he shoots him and kills the guy. And Jim just goes, boy, he's strict. Uh, but my favorite, favorite scene is, okay, we got to get up there and figure out what's happening. And Jim goes, I've, I've got an idea. And he yeah. pushes Bart behind this little, like, cliff thing. Um, and he, he leans over and he goes, oh, boys. <laughs> and the Ku Klux members yeah. turn around and he goes, look what I have. And he pulls, he pulls Bart out and Bart just goes, hey, where are the white women at? Where are the white women at? <laughs> so the Ku Klux Klan members run after them behind the rock you hear some like fighting noises, and then some Jim, Jim and Bart come out dressed up as the Ku Klux Klan, and they get to the front of the line, and they're signing up to get their badges and stuff. Oh, there is a reference to badges. We don't need no stinking badges. Um, but they get to the front of the line, and this is a pretty classic thing. Dave Chappelle had like a spin during his uh, the Chappelle Show days. Oh, really? He had a spin on this joke, which was. He was a he was a blind black clan member who didn't know that he was black. Oh my god, I remember that. And he'd like give the speech and then his mask would come off and everybody'd be like, What the hell? Thank god. Um But basically that's that's the same thing. They're up there and they're about to sign and Bart goes to sign and you see his hands and Jim quickly goes, You've got to wash your hands again and he starts scrubbing it and go and then flips to his palm and goes, Look, it's already coming off. It's already coming off. It's uh, so they know that it's them. Um so funny. <laughs> it's very funny. Where the white men at? Women at? Uh, so they, they escape from that situation and they start to plan like, okay, he's going to have this whole army of people try and come after us. We got to think of something to do. Mm-hmm. And they sort of devise this scheme. And Bart goes out and he meets all the railroad workers. His old friend, everybody there convinces them to help him. And they bring them to meet all the townspeople. So the townspeople, again, all white, super racist and stuff. Even though they're relying on Bart at this point to save them. Right. They see all these other, like, again, Chinese people, Mm -hmm. Hispanic people, Irish people, whatever might be coming in. And they're like, uh, they're apprehensive. But Bart's like, look, we need their help if we're going to do anything. And one of the townspeople goes... Okay, we're cool with everybody except the Irish. And then everyone's like, ah. He goes, okay, everyone. And oh, then they all start hugging and stuff, and it's all cool, whatever. Everyone and they come up, the they come up with this plan. They're going to build a replica of Rock Ridge, including the townspeople, right. and fool them and lay it with like dynamite to blow the people up when they get there. Uh. And they only have until the morning to do it. So they got like seven hours. So they get to work. They build up this town. And when they, when you first hear them be like, we're going to build a replica, you're thinking they're going to build the whole thing. Right. No, they're literally just building like the front of the shops and painting them and putting basically what's a cardboard cutout of yeah. the people standing in the town. And it's just like boards holding it up from the back, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and... They do decide during that they they need a little extra time to finish it up. Mm-hmm. So so Bart and Jim uh, and Mungo go to buy time. They go out into the middle of the desert on like the, the pathway that they're coming from. And they build a, uh, a toll booth asking for 10 oh cents to pass by. 
and there's a great bit where they stop at this toll booth. They don't go. They could just literally go around, it, around it, but they just stop. And he goes, "Does does anyone have a dime?" <laughs> and he goes, "Ah shit, somebody's gonna have to go back and get a shitload of dimes." And they come through the toll booth one at a time, putting in ten oh, cents. Time. Again, what could just hilarious. go right around it. <laughs> there's nothing stopping them. They're but they all they're, again. That's the whole point. Is the the bad guys yeah. to this. The bad, racist, terrible people yeah. are just so stupid, so stupid that they fall for these dumb things. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, the raiders attack the fake town. Nobody notices that it's a fake town, that the people there are fake, fake. that everything's fake. Um, and then uh, they, dyn- they dynamite the town. You see some horses in the background fly like 50 feet into the air. Again, really unfair to the horses in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah, the the dynamite, like in all mo- good movies, the dynamite plunger doesn't actually work, so Jim uh, has to shoot it. Of course. But still, horses flying 50 feet in the air, because, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, and then a brawl breaks out, the townspeople come in, and they start fighting who's remaining. We get the great shot of the one uh, lady in the town punch the guy through the, oh, the yeah. window. That, that was the old lady that used the N-word. No, no, right? not the old lady. The one who... She delivered a speech where they wrote a really strongly worded oh, letter. She, yeah. she, where she, she's like, "I'm not used to public speaking," and then she basically starts screaming. I forgot about that. She, she punches the guy face. through the window. We get the we get to see the old ladies being held back by one guy and getting punched in the gut over right. and over again. And then she goes, "Have you ever seen something so despicable?" Or whatever she says. Um, too funny. The brawl keeps going, and then it gets. This is where it feels like very, very Mel Brooksy, or even like Monty Python on the Holy Grail sort of does this thing in their final act too, mm-hmm. where in Monty Python, as they're crossing the bridge and they're going, all of a sudden police show up and start arresting them, and there's like riot police and right. stuff. Uh, so it's like breaking the fourth wall. And this one, there, the fight that's happening spills out. We we cut to this set of. Uh, this like musical happening with these dancing people and tuxedos and stuff doing a dance singing a song and the director says cut you're not doing it right does the right. little dance don uh dom de louise that's right is who plays the director here oh i used to i loved him so much yes he is great yeah dom de louise he, all dogs go to heaven yes yep um, and when he's doing that, Taggart walks up and he goes, who the hell are you? And he goes, I work for Mel Brooks and punches him in the face. <laughs> yeah. And then the cowboys show up and they're all, they're all punching and beating each other up. There's supposed to be a thing, which, I mean, I guess you could assume that that's what it is, but I've actually never thought of this scene this way in that mm-hmm. the, like, musical that's happening mm-hmm. is supposed to be a gay musical. Um, again, I've literally never thought of it this way, but in reading this and looking into it, that's how people reference it. And it makes more sense when this one part happens where one of the dancers and the cowboy are, like, fighting, and they go behind the staircase, and then when they come out, they're, like, arms around each other. It's because they're supposed to be fighting, and then when they come out, they've agreed to go on a date with each other. Oh, that's <laughs> so it's, cute! It's so weird and goofy. It is goofy. Um... 
Uh, it continues to spill out. We see a larger pan of the back lot of WB Studios. Right. We see uh, the commissary where they're getting all the food. We see a bunch right. of people in costumes. Like every Mel Brooks movie, there's a Hitler in it at one point. Of course. Um, the fight spills out in there. There's a huge food fight going on. Mm-hmm. We see Hedley Lamar walk out of the bathroom and just mouth, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and then he goes fuck? back into the bathroom, comes back out with a pie in his face um decides i'm getting out of here again there's a little tour going through the studio that goes in and then comes out with food all over them i took one of those tours at uh universal universal yeah i didn't get any pie in my face unfortunately shame um it spills out from the studio at that point they literally come through the front of the studio Mm -hmm. Spilling out on the street, Hedley Lamar gets into a taxi and says, Get me out of here. <laughs> and then Bart comes riding on a horse and chases him down. It gets even more like meta, fourth wall breaking, and that Hedley Lamar goes to a movie theater, pushes some kids out of the way, pays for a ticket to the movie, mm-hmm. tries to say student discount, and the person's like, Hell no, no. you're way too old. No. He gets he gets uh shoot, what kind of candy does he buy? like jujubes or something ah uh, it is because it's not popcorn it's raisinets he gets raisinets that's what it is he gets some raisinets he goes into the theater he sits down he's literally watching blazing saddles what, yeah. ending and he sees that bart is like coming to the movie theater and he's like oh shit so he gets up to leave and it's just it's such a random small scene that's just like, what is, even is the point of this? Yeah. To have him go to a movie theater, see that Bart's coming to him, and be like, oh, shoot. And when he leaves, Bart's there outside waiting for him. I think it just must have been one of an idea that just tickled Mel Brooks to death. That it, I, I do love how breaking the fourth wall was so prominent in this movie. Yeah. I love when that happens. That just cracks me up. I think you just must have thought that that would have been so silly. Right. And then, uh, so Bart stops him outside, shoots him in the groin Mm -hmm. uh, to, like, triumph for the day. And then we basically cut back to uh, Bart telling the townspeople that he's, that the town's safe, but he's not staying as sheriff. He's got to move on uh, because his work is done. Right. Uh, And... When he's leaving, Jim asks, where are you going? he goes, uh, he says, nowhere in particular or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim goes, I've always wanted to go there. <laughs> and, and Jim's also eating popcorn from the right, theater. Right, of course. Uh, uh, he gets on his horse. They both leave. They, they go off sort of your typical end of a Western, these people on horseback just riding off, off into, into the distance. The but the camera sticks with them. And they pan over, they get off their horses, and they get into, like, a car that's being chauffeured off the lot. Um, yeah, he says, nowhere special. And Jim says, I've always wanted to go nowhere special. Um, and they ride, ride off into the desert, get into a limousine, and it drives off into the sunset. It's so funny. And then that's the end of Blazing Saddles. That's the end. <laughs> I... The movie is still hilarious. The movie is it's still really funny. funny. It it absolutely holds up. I mean, if you have issues with the language that's used in it, mm-hmm. um, 
I mean, I can I can understand that to a degree, but you've got to just... There's a couple things you've got to understand, which is... One, um, as much as some people have discussed that they do... They're like, yeah, you could make that movie today. Um, I don't... I don't know that you could. We do have things like Django Unchained, relatively modern movie that uses the N-word a lot. But there's just certain things to this movie that I don't think play or would work in a more modern sense of, like, comedy movies. Or or at least the movie wouldn't be as successful as it was or as big as it is if it came out. Today. I don't think so. I think it was a really kind of magic in a bottle kind of thing that you can appreciate, but you're gonna lose some of that. You're gonna lose some of that sparkle if you try to do it again. It's well, just not gonna so, hit the same. I think the the one thing that hurts it is from like being a modern day movie, mm-hmm. and this is something that I don't think people think about when they're like, "Yeah, you you could make that movie today." Is like the reason the one reason that it wouldn't resonate is westerns aren't are like all but extinct basically in modern cinema we've get we get some great neo westerns with Mm -hmm. things like sicario or hell or high water wind river i know i just named like three (laughs) taylor sheridan movies old country for no men no wait old country for no men no country for old men (laughs) okay yeah so there's some great like neo western films that have come that have sprung up but the western as as a whole is not a dead genre, yeah. but it's not like it was huge right. in the '60s. It was massive yeah. with, uh, you know, in the '50s, '60s, John Wayne, huge, Clint Eastwood, huge, spaghetti westerns really taking yeah. off, a- just absolutely massive for the industry at the time. So a spoof movie about those films, more or less, kind of on their way out as yeah. like uh, like the number one genre or one of the top genres works so much more than if you released it today where mm-hmm. it's like how many how many westerns do you think you've seen in the last like 10 years three I, four five I, maybe my uh my parents they watched the is it tcm the cable channel that does all of the like older black and turner white. classic movies TCM. yeah they, my, my dad watches that a lot and the last movie that we watched together at at their house was the original true grit and i loved i hadn't seen the original and i saw the newer one and loved it, and I loved the the older one just as much, if not a little bit more. Yeah, there's something to it, and it's a shame. I really thought Clint Eastwood's son was gonna kind of bring back <laughs> westerns, and that westerns? Did, no, that did not happen. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, the last like truly successful western that you could easily like pin like that's a western is probably No Country for Old Men and won yeah. Best Best Picture in 2007, yeah, I believe. Yeah, that's one of my all-time um, favorite movies. And it's great. Um, or even if you go before that, if you want, like, No Country for Old Men's relatively modern movie yeah. and that they're, you know, they've got, like, trucks and stuff. Even if you want to go older than that and you want, like, a Western Western where it's, like, cowboys, they're, mm-hmm. they're on horses and stuff, whatever, it, then you go to, like, 1990. I don't know, three or whatever year it was, that Unforgiven came out with yeah. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, again, a Best Picture winner, mm-hmm. Western. There's, so, I mean, they come out, they still come out, but again, it's just not... It's few and far between. Right, it's all, it's like, it's like tr- 
same thing with another Mel Brooks movie is like Spaceballs. Could you do Spaceballs now? Sure. Are there Star Wars movies that you could easily riff off? Sure. But, I mean, this probably doesn't work in exactly one-to-one because Star Wars, regardless, is a massive, massive franchise. Mm -hmm. And, of course, with the success of Mandalorian and all the shows and whatnot. But that's the general idea. It's like, when Spaceballs came out, Star Wars was... Star Wars was just absolutely massive and basically in its infancy, and it was poking fun of that, but also things like Alien with Mm -hmm. the little facehugger thing that pops out in some other um, space genre films that at that time were huge. So it's not just necessarily about, like, uh, what would it rate? What would the Mm -hmm. studio want to cut out? Would they allow these certain things? Because a lot of it is relatively light other than, uh, I mean, this movie would probably get roasted. And I would imagine that the jokes would be like, the governor would be like something, something Trump or whatever instead, or, or, you know, you touch it up modern things or whatever, but there'd be way more backlash or something. I, I would assume. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's one of those things that there are just some movies that I don't think need remakes that are, that are just, they're good to go back and revisit. And, you know, my, I bet my parents were, like, so tickled at us watching that when we were younger. Like, you need to watch this, it's really funny. And then, you know, some of the jokes go over our head, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just one of those things. I think there's a lot of movies in, in our lifetime and growing up that are difficult to remake, even though a lot of movie studios are doing their best. But there are there are a lot of things that if I have kids, I want them to see the original one to appreciate it for what it was at that time that it came out. Yeah, there's just... I don't know. I, I just don't really know how you would do it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or well, I don't even know that I'd say that. I just don't think. I don't. I don't know. I don't even know why it's really a discussion of if you could do it this day or not. You could, sure, but I I don't think you'd get the same movie. At the I end don't of the think day, so. I don't think. Mm-mm. It, it's hilarious. Yes, it's still absolutely hilarious, top to bottom. Everything yeah. about it's great. It's silly. It's over the top. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Well. But. It's almost, I mean, the the best thing I can say is it's like, here's the thing. History of the World Part 1. I think it has its moments. I don't think the movie is, like, amazing top to bottom. I mm-hmm. think it has its moments. It's got a lot of good laughs in there, but it's, it's whatever. I think Blazing Saddles is much better start to finish. Yeah. Um, but then they did the Hulu show of History of the World Part 2. Right. And that is essentially trying to recapture the magic of the the original movie but using sort of modern things and stuff and it just doesn't really it It doesn't doesn't really yeah it doesn't work this it doesn't hit the same it doesn't necessarily work fully the the show is it's okay Mm -hmm. um but i'd watch the movie again before i watch this and not that i have like this deep history with the original movie or something it's just like it just it it feels like modern times trying to do something from then, which just doesn't really work at the end yeah, of the day. Doesn't translate. So. Well, I'm glad that we I'm glad that we watched that. I'm glad that we got to have some good laughs. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, this this was a this was Maggie's pick. Yeah. Um, done off of the suggestion of her dad saying uh, that it's being re-released in some theaters and we should go and see it. Yep. Um, and instead, we just stayed home and watched it. That was her pick. Uh, basically, kind of going forward, we're just sort of going to try and alternate. Yeah picks for movies so next week when we do one will be my pick and then back to her pick and then back to my pick and so on and so forth um but blazing saddles fantastic movie check it out if you've not seen it it's absolutely hilarious um we should lay out we should lay out like five movies on the floor and then let max walk up and sniff sniff one one and then that can be max's pick Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do that on your 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 week. No, maybe I will. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening to this talk yeah. about Blazing Saddles. Um, if you have any sort of interesting input or thoughts, leave them in comments and stuff if you can. Give the episode some likes, positivity, feedback is always great. You can follow us over at. C O A S underscore podcast Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Chicken on a Stick. Mm-hmm. We do a live stream every Friday on Twitch where we talk about the movie we'd seen the night before and if we think you should see it that weekend. Absolutely. Um, join the Discord. We do a move a monthly movie club. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's and a lot of things. We we post a lot of stuff and keep a lot of things. We'll be back weekly with the new talk about whatever movie yeah and we're gonna start pumping out more tiktoks so yeah somebody is supposed to be on that max yeah max <laughs> uh but thanks again for watching Thank we'll you. see you next next week we'll see you next week watch some good movies watch this movie and yeah hit us up <laughs> yeah hit us up hit us up, <laughs> hit, hit us up. <laughs> I want to erase that. Too late. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.